I'm intrigued by the story that comes to us out of Lee Summit, Missouri, about two or three decades ago. It's the story that is called The Secret Santa. There was a man who uh, started giving out five and ten dollar bills just randomly to people that he would meet in thrift shops, diners, parking lots, individuals that looked like they could, could use a little encouragement. It's fascinating how this story started. It was one December when this man by the name of Larry had lost his job. He was sitting in a diner, kind of licking his wounds. This was the second year in a row he had been fired in the month of December just before Christmas. The person who came to wait on him, the car hop as it was, it was cold. This person didn't really have a jacket to keep them warm. It was obvious they were indeed shivering because of the elements. And Larry decided to leave a $20 tip. He said, just keep the change. He saw her lips begin to tremble and quiver, tears fill her eyes and flow down her cheeks, and she said to him, you have no idea what this means. And it took him right out of his depression. So he decided to give himself a Christmas gift that year, even though he didn't have much. He went to the bank and took out $200 in $20 bills and went out and gave them all away. And his heart was indeed touched. And so he continued to do it. He worked in the TV cable business and his fortunes began to grow. And in a period of 25 years, Larry gave away over $1.3 million. <laughs> and no one knew who he was. They just talked about the secret Santa in Lee Summit, Missouri. Well, because he was actually facing chemotherapy himself, and he didn't want this ministry to discontinue, he revealed his identity and encouraged others to do the same. He started out with next to nothing, having been fired from his job at Christmas, and he got out of the doldrums by giving. I say that story intrigues me because it's something that all of us could do to alleviate the burden, the distress, the want of our friends and our neighbors or even of outright strangers. And when we talk about Christmas, we talk about giving and sometimes at Christmas we're obsessed with finding the perfect gift. Scripture is abundantly clear that the perfect gift is Christ and those who know him should be givers as Christ is a giver. There's an, an intriguing story that comes out of the pages of the Word of God with the Apostle Paul, who was encouraging uh, the giving, uh, the generosity of Christians to meet the needs of some saints who were stricken in poverty. The story is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. You can turn there in your Bibles this morning. And... I have a map just to give you a little bit of context here because Paul is writing and referring to two groups of believers who come from the country of Greece. Now, the southern 
part of Greece is called Achaia. And the Achaeans uh, have as their major city in what is a peninsula, the city of Corinth, just a little bit west of the city of Athens. And if you travel up the Aegean Sea, you come to the northern part of Greece, which is called Macedonia. And the Macedonians have as their chief city the city of Philippi, named after Philip, the father of Alexander the Great. And Paul wrote letters to these two chief cities. We have the book of Philippians written to the people in Philippi, and we have two letters to the Corinthians written to the people in Corinth. So that's the background, and Paul is writing to the people in Corinth and telling them what great givers the people in Macedonia are. He's trying to collect uh, some funds to help the poor, and the Macedonians have already given. In fact, chapter 8, verse 1, it sounds like this. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. If you want to raise funds with Christian groups, there's nothing wrong with starting a little contest, a little guilt manipulation. <laughs> it's exactly what Paul is doing. Hey, I, I want to I take an offering from you people in Achaia, but before I do, let me tell you what the Macedonians did. You're not going to let them do better than you, are they? Are you? Now, they gave out of their extreme poverty. They didn't have a lot but they were rich in generosity. Why? Because God had given them grace. The grace, this is verse one, the grace that God had given the Macedonians. When grace touches those in extreme poverty, it results in joyful generosity. And so Paul says to the people in Achaia, now you guys promised to give a gift, and I know you're going to, but <clears throat> excuse me, I haven't seen anything yet. And the Macedonians are already ahead of you. I suppose it would be similar to saying, by the way, we're taking a, a gift uh, for the poor. And I just came back from U of M, and boy, they gave a great gift. So what are you Spartans going to do? That's kind of what he's saying. Of course, the Spartans coming from the land of Greece, very appropriate. And he goes on and mentions the fact in verse 9, uh, by the way, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What is that? I'll explain that to you in one word, Christmas. He was rich in heaven with all of the glory and all of the opportunities and privileges as the eternal Son of God, yet for your sakes he became a man. He became poor. He humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2 says, to become obedient unto death, even death on a cruel cross. He who was equal with God willingly took the position and form of a servant. He became poor so that we, through his poverty, 
might be made rich. And so Paul goes on to encourage these occasions to give with great generosity. He says in chapter 9, you have no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, then why are you doing it? <laughs> Again, it's, it's wonderful psychology. It's inspired scripture, but it's a great approach. I really have no need to write to you, but let me just encourage you again that you made a promise. Your enthusiasm to give has stirred many others. Verse 3, and I'm sending a delegation of brothers to you so that your boasting will not prove to be in vain. Or verse 4, for if any of the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, <laughs> not to say anything about you, but I would be ashamed of your former confidence. So remember this, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Everyone should give as they have decided in their own heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, you'll have all you need so that you can abound in every good work. Do you see the pattern? So the, he ends the chapter this way, verse 14. And in their prayers, as you are generous in your giving, those who are the recipients of your gift in their prayers will thank you and praise God. In their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And then he ends this way. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's read it together. It's on the screen. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What's the gift? The perfect gift. It's Jesus Christ. And as I think of that one verse, there are three dominant thoughts that flow uh, into my heart and into my mind so appropriate for this Christmas season. Thought number one is that God gives. Our God is a giving God. Now, there's no way that we could force an infinite, all-powerful being to do what we want him to do. And the idols, the gods of the heathen and the pagans, often were not generous in their giving but demanding and harsh and cruel. But our God is a giving God. And what does he give? James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. From the Father who made the lights, the Father of the lights, in whom there is no variation and no shadow of turning, which means he's not generous today and stingy tomorrow. We're told in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God, who gives to all people liberally, generously, without finding fault. Have you ever been afraid to go to prayer and ask God for something because you're afraid God's a little like your dad? And your dad was one of those who was a good person in heart, certainly so, but anytime you came to him asking for a favor, you got a lecture. Anytime you were asking for a little bit of money, 
And maybe he knew your tendencies. You receive warnings. Now, if I give this to you, you're not going to spend it this way, are you? And if I do this because you don't have a very good past record, remember all of your faults, and pretty soon you get to the place where you don't even want to ask. And some of you are afraid God is like your dad. Now, to stand up for fathers who, when it is indeed appropriate to give a lecture, the Lord certainly gives us instruction, but he's not about reproaching us. He's about blessing us with his liberality. Our God is a giving God, and he gives good gifts. And he gives good gifts generously. And the best gift of all is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten And by the way, that's not the end of God's giving. That's the best of all gifts, but that's just a marker that if he's given us the best gift, he'll give us all the other ones as well. That's what Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 says. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with Christ also freely give us everything we need? It's the argument from the greater to the lesser. If he's given us the best gifts, Why would we think he would not give us all the other gifts that we need? The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14. Christmas is about God giving generously the greatest gift of all. It's the gift of the person of Jesus Christ when the infinite becomes an infant. You can't make this kind of stuff up. There's no story that approaches this grandest of all stories of the incarnation of God and then the crucifixion of God and then the resurrection of God and then the return of God so that all things are consumed, all things are consummated and brought to their proper conclusion by the baby in Bethlehem who comes back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Our God is a giving God. And if you live in God, you live in love. And if you live in God, you live in light, because God is love and God is light. And if you live in God, you must be a giving person, because God is a giving person. What does that say about stingy people? Well, if we would give them the benefit of the doubt, we could say that they are a believer who has not yet allowed that new generation to take hold. Maybe they've grown up in dire circumstances without anything and they just have not yet learned to be godlike in opening the hand of generosity. That's the best we can say. The worst we could say is, you don't know God. Because God is a giving God. Does that make sense? And the closer I get to him, the more I, want, I, I will become like him. It starts out, chapter 8, God gave grace to the Macedonians, verse 1. And it ends, this discussion on giving, these two chapters, 8 and 9, end with 9.14, because of the surpassing grace that God has given. Our God is a giving God. 
And that's the wonderful story of Christmas. So I don't begrudge the giving of gifts. It's just sad when we forget the greatest gift. Let every gift given to someone, received from someone, remind you of the greatest gift of all. May every gift given and exchanged be an opportunity for you to say, I'm glad we're doing this because this is a beautiful picture of what God does at Christmas in the sending of his son. Use the opportunity to speak about our giving God. Secondly, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. The Greek word gift is much like our English word, meaning it is something that is freely given. It is not earned and it is not deserved. That would be a wage. That would be something we merit. But a gift is freely given without any reason behind it. Think about it. Just as we cannot create God to be giving and generous, thankfully he is, nor will God be any man's debtor. Throughout the scriptures, we have this theme given to us. God says, if I needed something, I wouldn't come to you. (laughs) I have the cattle on a thousand hills. I created everything. I spoke and worlds came into being. Do you think I'm dependent on you? If I need counsel on something, I'm not coming to you. Of course, God doesn't need any counsel and God doesn't need anything. He is fully and eternally and perfectly sufficient in himself, in the triune God. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He has all power. And so God will be no man's debtor. But God gives by grace. That's the second thing. A gift is a gift by grace. And God gives by grace. I won't do it now, but if you were to go through this chapter, these two chapters, you would find the word grace mentioned at least five, maybe seven times. We don't always see it in the English word because sometimes the Greek word charis is translated other than grace, sometimes thanks. But the idea is that God is gracing us. And in fact, we cannot be generous unless the grace of God has truly touched our heart. So behind this idea of of giving is this strong motive of grace. We see it in chapter 8, don't we, in the, in the illustration of Jesus Christ, verse 9. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what motivated him to come from heaven. You know about grace. And it's by grace that we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. Salvation is the what? Gift of God. The one who gives perfect gifts he loves to give and he gives by grace motivated by his love it is an amazing thing i've said it before and i'll probably say it most every christmas but i am always fascinated and enjoy the time to go back through that wonderful novel by charles dickens called the christmas carol If you don't like reading it or stumble through it, you can go on YouTube and have someone read it for you. And sometimes that's 
just as thrilling as could be. If you want to see it on television, there are multiple ways to see it. Most uh, are inferior to the book itself, as movies often are. But there's a new movie out that talks about how Dickens wrote The Christmas Carol, and it is filled with fantasy, but it is fun. But one of the things that struck me as I watched that movie just this past week was that when that book, A Christmas Carol, finally hit the public and sold out even before Christmas, even though it was printed just a a short time before, sold out immediately, the generous giving in London multiplied by what? Two, three, four times of what it had been. You know the story about the miser Scrooge. By the way, there are no Christian Scrooges. Because if you know the grace of God, how could you be a Scrooge? Well, that's just me. Well, be a better you, for heaven's sake. Why don't you be a little more like Christ-like you instead of depraved, selfish you? (laughs) And even a miser can change, right? And can understand the blessing of being generous. Well, as I think about this Christmas carol and Charles Dickens, another Charles that is a a hero for me, and you hear me quote him quite often, is the Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of London, who, by the way, was something of a contemporary of Dickens. When the Christmas carol was written, Spurgeon was nine years old. In a matter of 11 years, he would be pastoring in the heart of London, And one of his favorite novelists was Dickens, and he loved A Christmas Carol. He didn't like all of the religious trappings of Christmas that often take us away from Christ, but the generosity of it was great. And both Dickens and Spurgeon focused on the Southwark area of London, where the poorest of the poor, the marginalized and the needy, dwelt. Dickens himself did much to alleviate the poor, and especially children who were in the workhouses. Spurgeon did the same by founding two orphanages. And it was at Christmas where the great generosity of Christ just came out in these individuals and wanted people to know that it's because of the grace of God that we're generous to those in need. It starts with grace, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And it ends with grace, 2 Corinthians 9, 14. It's the surpassing grace of God that touches us, that truly changes us. And so I ask myself, how much of the grace of God am I displaying as I give to others or as I hold back what I should give? And then thirdly, This wonderful verse, thanks be unto God for his indescribable, unspeakable gift. God gives, God gives by grace, and God deserves our gratitude. God deserves our gratitude. Thanks be to God. If you know God, you live in his grace. If you know God, you express his generosity, and if you know God, You are a grateful person. And how convicting that is to me when I'm anything but those three things. Filled with grace, giving to others, and grateful for all that I've received. 
Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Now, we think we know who the gift is, but in the context of this wonderful portion of Scripture, it is nailed down in chapter 8 and verse 9. It is, you know the grace of God in Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. It's the story of Christ, and he's telling it again. And he ends up like bookends, starting out with grace and ending with grace, starting out early on in his urging of people to be generous, showing the example of Christ, and ending with gratitude to Christ. God deserves our praise. And that's why the song we sang a moment ago, Oh, come, let us adore him. I'll praise his name forever. Those do go together. And you and I need to live a life in gratitude and never get away from it. Thanks be unto God for his amazing mercy and love. When grace touches our heart, gratitude flows from the soul. Now, what I find very interesting is the Apostle Paul could not find the right word to use to describe the grace of God. Notice our text says indescribable. That is a Greek word found nowhere else in the Bible but nowhere else in all of Greek literature before this time. You won't find it in the classics. You won't find it in the law. You won't find it in Homer or any of these well-known Greek classics. The word was never known. Paul invented it. I wish I had the brilliance to invent words. I sometimes invent words only because of my foolishness. And someone will come up and say, did you know that that's not a word? And I would love to say, I know, I invented it intentionally. But I don't have that kind of brilliance. This is a new word. What does it mean? <laughs> you cannot fully describe what it means. Or what the object of this adjective means. It's taken from a word that means to give all the shade of meaning, to deal with all of the details, to fully expound every aspect of a subject, and then a negative is put onto it, which had never been done before, to say that it cannot be fully expounded. One of my favorite songs talks about the love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star. It reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole. Those stretched from sky to sky. What are you saying? You cannot describe the love of God. You cannot describe the mercy of Christ. What can you do? Be grateful. Unceasingly grateful. Paul cannot contain himself and says, in effect, the great generosity of God brings me to the place where I will live every day in utter gratitude for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There's a well-known Christmas story. It's a short story from the pen of O. Henry, William Sidney Porter. The name of it? The Gift of the Magi. It's about a young couple, rather poor, Jim and Della. They want to buy Christmas gifts for each other, but they can't. And so Jim sells his watch so he can get some money to buy beautiful combs for his wife because she has this long hair, and she sells her hair so she can buy a gold chain for his watch. And they come to give their gifts to each other and realize that they have missed each other. They've sacrificed out of love, giving their greatest treasures. Oh, Henry at the very end of the story, says, of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. That's why we call them the Magi. That's all well and good, and I love the story, except he throws in this statement, the Magi invented the art of giving Christmas presents. And I say, no, God did, right? Now, they were early on in the process. I'll give them that. But God is the one who sacrificed more than personal treasure. He gave his son to save you, and that is Christmas. Jesus once said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Do you believe that? Of course you do. It's the Bible. But do you believe it? Do you live it? That's a different story. Those are the words of Jesus Christ, but they're not found in the Gospels. Other than the book of the Revelation, almost all the words attributed to Christ are clearly in the Gospels, except for this one phrase that Paul quotes, talking to leaders in a church on how they need to carry on ministry in the local assembly. You need to teach one another, just as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's what Larry Stewart, the secret Santa, found out. And that's what God tells us. Getting is good, but giving is better. That's what you begin to learn when you become a parent, right? That giving gifts to your children is far more exciting than getting gifts. But there's a little bit of selfishness in that if you analyze it, because the reason why I'm not so keen on getting gifts at Christmas is because I've got enough money to get what I want. I'm not dependent on my parents. And by the way, usually people who buy me Christmas gifts buy me what I don't want. So I just get my own stuff. My wife and I aren't exchanging gifts this year. We already bought our gifts. We each bought what we wanted. And then we delight in seeing our kids get gifts. There's a little bit of selfishness in all that. But when you truly give out of the resources of God's grace that he has given you from your relationship to the greatest gift in the world, Jesus Christ, then you touch hearts. It's the contemplation of the giving God who gave the greatest gift in Jesus Christ, who embraced poverty so that he could make us rich. That's the example of Christmas. And that's what we need to practice. And we are never more like God than when we are giving generously, motivated by his grace 
and His grace alone. Thanks be to the giving God who gave us the greatest gift of all by grace, a gift that I cannot fully describe, but I am eternally grateful for, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, in your mercy and grace, loved us so much, you gave us the gift of eternal life in your Son, the one who died for our sins so we wouldn't have to, the one who lived a perfect life because we could not do it ourselves, the one who, when we call upon him in faith and turn from our sin, gives us this gift of life. It's like drinking water, the living water that makes us never thirst again, but in our hearts becomes a spring gushing up into everlasting life, life more abundant now, eternal life that never ends, and a life that should be marked by generous grace-giving and a grateful heart. May that be so for us this Christmas, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.